welcome to an encouraging message from Pastor Kenneth Bent, an associate pastor here at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Southeast Texas. We are so glad you're joining us. For more information about Golden Triangle Church on the Rock Ministries, visit our website, cotr.com. Enjoy the word. The Lord is good. Well, today I want to talk to you about persistence and perseverance. So I'm going to persist and persevere through this, all right? Uh, and uh, on Wednesday night, Pastor Ron really confirmed what I'd been feeling in my heart uh, to speak on this morning. He mentioned the word persistence and talked about it. And so a couple of scriptures came to mind and said, don't stop or don't grow weary. Galatians 6, 9 says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we'll reap if we don't give up. Amen. So let me encourage you, don't give up. And then uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.13 says, As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Now I want to encourage you all today, and myself included, don't grow weary in living for Jesus and doing good. Right. Amen. Let's not find excuses to quit living for Jesus. <laughs> all right. So... We had an electrical um, breaker box replaced the other day in our house. A storm had caused a big old tree branch to fall and had took out our weather head, you know, the thing that's above your roof that all the electrical wires go into. And so, and the box was really old. It needed to be replaced anyway. So we get my elect our electrician friend, and he comes over, and he's working on it all day. It, it was really only supposed to be like a four- or five-hour job, turned into an all-day job uh, because right underneath the circuit breaker box area, we had planted a bird of paradise plant. And I've had that bird of paradise plant for probably 20 years, brought the seeds back from Hawaii, planted it in every house we've lived in, and it's always been faithful to grow. And so when we'd move, we'd transplant it and that sort of thing. And so it, it's been faithfully growing and producing, and every once in a while it'll show us a beautiful giant bird of paradise um, flower. And so it's the most persistent plant I've ever owned. And tropical plants are not always hardy, but this one acts like it was born and raised in Texas. In fact, it kind of was, I guess, but not really. But I have... I, I brought the seeds back, as I said. Well, here's the problem. The bird of paradise root system was so extensive and strong that when the electrician tried to drive in a new ground rod, this big old long copper ground rod, he's driving it in. It wouldn't go anywhere. It would not pierce the root system of the bird of paradise. He tried every which way. He couldn't get it. He even drove it down right beside the existing rod. It would not go into the ground. He dug and he dug and he dug and he pounded it. Finally, he just said, I can't do it. So he just used the existing ground rod, which was fine. But, you know, you know, but here's a picture of it. I think, I think we have a picture of it. And uh, so you can see the, the root mess there, right? So the box is there. But, I mean, there's, it was just impervious to all efforts to get it down the ground. That plant's persistent. Its root system is persistent. And so we ought to be as well, amen? So this plant's lasted through hurricanes and winter storms and, you know, all kind, you know, 
all kinds of stuff. And it still keeps on growing, no matter how much I've tried to dig it up. I honestly, we honestly tried to dig it up last, last year. I was unsuccessful. Um, it just wouldn't. So I'm going to get, you know, probably Brack over there with his little backhoe and dig it out. Hopefully it doesn't destroy everything else in this process, but it'll be all right. So another example of persistence in my neighborhood is uh, my neighbor across the street, Sweet Mary, uh, lives across the street, and we've prayed for Mary a couple of times and, and her late husband before he passed on to glory. Beautiful Christians. And um, so uh, this, she had a tree in her yard that was damaged in a storm, and the tree had split, you know. And so she hired a couple of guys to come over there and chop the rest of the tree down and, you know, gather it all up and haul it away. But they didn't deal with the roots too well. So then there's another picture. So you see all those little green things growing on the ground? Those are all the parts of the tree coming up through the roots. It's growing like, a, like almost like an aspen is what it reminds me of. I don't know if you're familiar with aspens. But aspens really don't have like a single trunk and a single tree. They have this giant root system where they spring trees up from everywhere on the root system, right? And that, that, that kind of tree, I don't know if it's an aspen or not, probably isn't. But it just reminded me of that, of the persistence, right? It's like whack-a-tree, right? You've heard of whack-a-mole, right? You know, we play whack-a-bee in our backyard. We have these wood-bees that drill, you know. And so we have a badminton racket, and when they start getting more populous, we start whacking them. Whack-a-bee. <laughs> Boom! Uh, you know, I miss them a lot. It hurts. But, you know, bam! When you get one, they go, boom! You know, they land on the ground. They're persistent, too. Even though we spray and everything else, they keep coming back and just drilling away. You know, whack! So this is like whack-a-tree, Right? And, and it's persistent. It just won't go away, right? It's a great illustration of how we should be with our Christian life, right? It's important to consistently network, right? So fellowship in the Bible is almost like networking together, right? I'm not talking about multi-level networking. I'm talking about fellowship, relationship, communion with each other. The word fellowship, kinonia, or more commonly, koinonia, means a partnership, right? And our partnership becomes more effective when we acknowledge everything that's in us in Christ Jesus, right? And so we need to keep each other's fires burning. We need to keep each other's roots burning. That's why I love church. How many of you love church? I love church. I can't get enough church. Why? Why? I mean, you work up here. How come you want to spend more time at church? Because I love God and I love God's people. And I know how important it is. Yeah, I can listen to worship in my car. I can listen to great sermons on YouTube. I can, I can attend lectures online. I can get all kinds of information and stuff, but nothing replaces the beauty of seeing you people Every Sunday, every Wednesday, just fellowshipping. There's some strength that happens, right? And this, in part, builds our persistence. It builds our consistency. It builds our perseverance. If you're wondering why you get weak and your faith begins to wane, it's more than likely because you haven't been coming to church. So, well, I get it all at home. 
No, you can't. God places people in a body, and we are members in particular. Amen? And the body cannot exist without being joined. Every joint supplies, the Bible says. So persistence is important, but we have to have it in community. Every success in the early church is that they were devoted to the community, right? Every success of the early church that we read in the book of Acts is, is surrounded themsel- surrounding themselves in community. That's why they could endure persecution, because they had community, because they had the body of Christ. Most of the occurrences of the word you... It's an unfortunate thing about the English language is the word you, Y-O-U, is, can read singular or plural. So when it's translated, we say you, most of the occurrences, the Bible was written in Southern. I, I just have to say, most of the occurrences of the word you are y'all in the New Testament. Y'all. Y'all are in Christ. Y'all are members in particular. Christ in y'all, the hope of glory. Right? That's what I love about the South. I mean, this, the South gets it, right? From a biblical standpoint is what I'm saying. Y'all! Y'all come. <laughs> okay. What does it mean? I have fellowship. I have relationship. And this contributes to my ability to stay persistent, even in times of affliction. The people of God grow even in times of affliction. Exodus 1.12. But the more they were oppressed, one of Pastor Ron's favorite scriptures he often quotes, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Whack a person. <laughs> Whack a church. What happens? They spread. Amen? The communist Chinese government, when it came into power in 1947, kicked all the missionaries out. All the Christian missionaries had to go. And they made a declaration of Christianity is essentially illegal. It's against the law. And they persecuted the church. They still persecute the church. But that very fact of persecution and affliction was the very thing that made the Chinese church grow to where it's the largest growing, fastest growing group in the world for a All the rest of Christian history, compared to the rest of Christian history, the Chinese church grows the fastest. Why? Persecution. I don't know if I want to welcome persecution. Well, of course you don't. But how can you endure? You endure because you have community, right? (laughs) Acts 5, 40 to 42, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. This was not no slap on the wrist, you know. Then then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts, in Solomon's colonnade probably, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They never stopped. But they did it from house to house, and they kept meeting in the temple, right? They didn't forsake the assembling of themselves together. They knew that it was important 
that they gathered, and they loved to gather. I love Paul's determination talking about persistence. 1 Corinthians 16, he tells the, Christian, the Corinthian church he's going to stay in Ephesus at least until Pentecost. And then he says, there are great open doors for the gospel in Asia Minor, but he also says, and there are many adversaries. But he isn't phased by it, right? He has this persistence. He's not worried about persecution. He realizes it's real and it's happening, but he's not worried about it. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Well, then just shortly after that, a couple verses down, he's, uh, he exhorts the Corinthians. He said, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, right? Be strong, let all that you do be done in love. He, he's not phased by the potential persecution. So in my studies yesterday morning, I came across this uh, translation by one scholar of the same passage, and I love how it reads. He says, keep alert, stand firm in the faith, show mature courage. This is the idea behind act like men. Show mature courage. So what are you going to let bump you off your commitment to Jesus and to the local church? What's, what's, what's going to derail you? Can it be unjust suffering? Can it be unexplained sickness? Can it be the sudden death of a loved one? What's going to throw you off? What's going to throw me off? We have to think about these things and be alert and show mature courage. I'm not going to let it. I'm going to stay strong in Jesus. I'm going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Amen? I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to be unpersuaded by the attacks of the devil. Pastor Ethan talked to the youth on Wednesday night about maturity and I'm going to paraphrase him, he said, persistence in the faith or right living or spiritual maturity is not just the pursuit of self-mastery. I really like that. Lots to think about there. And he states in his notes, spiritual maturity, or you could say gospel maturity, is sanctification, in other words, becoming more like Jesus, less like the world, the flesh, and the devil, Sanctification is driven by truth because of grace and for the glory of God. Wow, great statement. Jesus is our true example of persistent devotion. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. Talk about an example of persistence. 
faced the ultimate trial, paid the ultimate price, bore all the sins of mankind. And as he's leading up to the cross event, what is he doing? You find him in the garden of Gethsemane with his disciples. He's not just alone. He's with his disciples and he's praying and he's encouraging them to pray. And then when Peter, you know, decides he's going to take a sword and he whacks off the guy's ear, right? What does Jesus do? Does he get upset and just go, well, I'm quitting. I'm out of here. No. He picks up the guy's ear and heals him. And he greets the hit the people that have come to arrest him. And while he's suffering on the cross, he says, you're going to be with me in paradise. And John, take care of my mother. He's thinking about other people. And he's also thinking about his heavenly father's will because he submitted to it and said, not my will, but yours be done. He said it in the garden, but he said it among his beloved brothers, right? Were his brothers perfect? No. Did that stop him from going to the cross? No. Did our imperfection, did our sin stop Jesus? Well, I'm just giving up on all you guys? No. It drove him to the cross. His persistence drove him to serve his Father's will. So, I pray that we're so motivated in similar fashion, amen? That we will give up our lives for the sake of the gospel and we will serve him no matter what. You know, I always talk about brother and sister sandpaper. You know, they're, they're the people in church that rub you the wrong way. That's going to happen, right? But let, let, let patience have its perfect work, right? <laughs> that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Enjoy rubbing shoulders with people you don't understand, don't like. Embrace the events you don't get, you don't understand. Embrace it when you don't know what God is doing. It's all right. Just be persistent. Stay with the group of believers. Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, even knowing he was going to face terrible suffering. Luke 9, 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He knew what was going to happen, and he purposed to do the will of God. He's marching. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion. Beautiful city of God. There's a beautiful passage from Isaiah that's prophetic about Jesus. Isaiah 50, verses 5 to 7. I'm just going to show verse 7 up there. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Verse 7, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. 
and I know that I shall not be put to shame. The best time to determine you're going to live for God is before stuff happens. And then when stuff is happening, make a redetermination that you're going to be persistent and you're going to persevere. Endurance is used three times in three verses about Jesus in Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance or endurance the race that is set before us. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Do not grow weary and lose heart. The early church is our example. Acts 2, 42 to 47, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this word devoted is what I want to kind of focus on here. Because it means obstinate persistence is the way it's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament. Luke observes in his description of the early church that they're distinguished by their devotion to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which can mean meals as well as the Lord's table, the communion, and prayer. The word translated devoted connotes a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. Steadfast and single-minded fidelity, faithfulness to a determined course of action. Luke uses it elsewhere in Acts to describe the devotion uh, to prayer and also the apostles' determination to focus their attention on prayer and ministry of the word. Obstinate persistence. <laughs> Are you obstinately persistent? You say, well, I sure am. I have a few people I need to be obstinately persistent. How obstinately persistent are we in our love for Jesus? In our love for God's people? So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Centered around koinonia, partnership in evangelism, in worship, and in possessions. That's what's going on here. Partnership in evangelism, in worship, and in sharing their possessions. They were persistently, persistently, obstinately persistent, right? 
So there's a nice chiastic structure, which means in the form of an X, right? And uh, I wanted to show it to you. I, I, in order to encourage you, when you read the Bible, look for some of these parallelisms or the way this, the text is structured, because it will help you to identify certain thematic structures within the text, all right? So um, let's look at this uh, structure. Can you get it all on the screen, April? Or? Okay. So, <clears throat> so the first idea is a effective evangelism through preaching. Then the next one was supposed to be indented there a little bit. Shared worship and meals. And then C, shared possessions. And then B prime, shared worship and meals and effective evangelism through preaching. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the, it's supposed to be in the shape of an X like this. Because the word chiasm is derived from what we call the Greek letter chi, is what it's known in, in university Greek. You know, chi alpha, you know, that kind of thing. The X, right? So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you just so you could see, just kind of catch an idea about when you're reading the Bible, just kind of look for certain patterns and parallels because much of the Bible is structured this way because it comes out of connections to uh, the ancient Near East and the Hebrew scriptures are very much structured this way, but you also see it in the New Testament as well. Uh, many occurrences of chiasm. So trials produce steadfastness or persistence, or they should. Persistence produces and displays true spiritual maturity or completeness or wholeness. The book of James gives us this idea, and Pastor Ron talked about the book of James on Wednesday. It gives us this idea of, of maturity or perfection or completeness. And the idea is that it displays a unity between who we project ourselves to be and who we really are on the inside, right? There needs to be an integrity within our person. And part of the integrity within our person involves persistence in doing right. All right? So James uses this idea, and, and we could just, uh, a number of scholars uh, thematically look at the book of James as the theme being shalom. Shalom is not just peace. Shalom is wholeness or completeness, right? So the Lord is instructing us in the book of James to look for ways that we can demonstrate wholeness, completeness, or the Greek word teleos, maturity, perfection, by being who we really say we are, right? What we say we are, we're believers, but we need to practice what we preach, in other words, right? <clears throat> so that's why the exhortation comes... Pastor Ron mentioned it. Don't be double-minded, right? And he indicates that we shouldn't waver. So we need persistence in our commitment to Christ and to the body of Christ so we won't be double-minded. So we'll have integrity between who we are on the outside and who we are on the inside. We'll be whole people. We won't be deceptive nor deceiving ourselves. I was thinking this morning, you know, there are ways that I can deceive myself, right? There are ways that I can convince myself 
that what I have chosen to do is the best and the right way, but it may not be the right way. And I thank God I've got a wife who can point that out to me. <laughs> you know, somebody knows you better than you know yourself, right? Of course Jesus does, right? But sometimes those closest to you can actually tell you, I don't think so. I don't think so. Right? So we must not be double-minded, unwavering. So there are variegated or diverse trials, and there's variegated or diverse grace to live for Jesus in the face of these trials, so that we will be steadfast and complete. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, James says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, persistence, perseverance. The best squeeze you can get out of any trial you go through is to come out the other side being more persistent, more committed, more steadfast in your faith. Amen. It doesn't mean your heart doesn't break. It doesn't mean you don't have questions. It doesn't mean you wonder why stuff happens. It doesn't mean that you have all the answers to why there is evil in this life or calamity happens to good people. It doesn't mean you have all the answers, but they need to drive you to the place where Jesus is Lord no matter what happens, and I'm committed to him because he is faithful who promised. I'm getting a little preachy. So 1 Peter 1.6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary. What? If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, variegated trials, right? Many colored trials. I believe this is the same word that's used to describe Joseph's coat of many colors, by the way, in the Greek Old Testament. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards, good managers of God's varied grace. So there's manifold trials, but there's manifold grace. God help us to use that grace. New Testament talks about endurance. I'm going to quickly just sort of zoom through these. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we'll also reign with him. Be persistent. In other words, you'll, you'll come out on top if you just endure. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I can just imagine Coach sitting here, and uh, he spent many years coaching football players, some great football players. And I can imagine you sharing with them the importance in many different ways, the importance of just enduring. You know, yeah, there's hardship in life. Yeah, there's hardship. Yeah, that guy's bigger than you. But you can do this. You can do this. Yeah, there's hardship in conditioning, but you must do it. You must persevere. Right? That really speaks to me, Coach. Think that Jesus is our greatest cheerleader. Love bears all things. And then 
One last scripture, Hebrews 10. Call, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Amen. So they took joyfully the confiscation of their goods. This was a time of persecution on the church. And they said, like the apostles, we rejoice that we were counted worthy to suffer for the name of the Lord. And they didn't quit. And you know what? They gave it all. They gave it all. And they were faithful to the end. May God help us. May God give us the joy for the joy set before him. Joy will bring strength. Strength will bring you persistence. Be obstinate in serving Jesus. And let's love God's people and let's love Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us for that powerful word from Pastor Kenneth Bent. Visit cotr.com and subscribe to our social media platforms to stay up to date. As well, receive many more encouraging messages from our pastors and details of the work we're doing both in our community and communities like ours around the world. Today and every day, God bless.